0: speak at our John Young campus. They send greetings, by the way. It's good to be with them. It's been a long time since I've had the chance to bring a word there and just to hear their encouragement, their support and affirmation of what God is doing through us here at Horizon West Church. Um, And that also provided opportunity for our student guy, Edwin, to bring an incredible message last week. Help me thank him as well for preaching uh, a great message last Sunday. Um, before we kind of dive into the, the content for today in the sermon, I do want to highlight two things that you've heard about, but I want to, I want to pack them with some vision for you. Um, the Spring Fling event that we're doing on April the 9th and Easter Sunday morning, which is April 17th. My vision for this is I'm praying that God would provide 500 people at each of these two events, that we'd see 500 people at our Spring Fling Community Outreach event on April 9th and another 500 or more on our Easter Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11 o'clock. And that doesn't happen just because we wish for it, Uh, that happens because we are intentional to invite people in our spheres of influence, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family and friends. I had the opportunity just um, this past week with two different um, family units. One is our next door neighbors, one is a couple that I was at lunch with on Monday who have not yet responded to the gospel, uh, but have said that they'll be with us on Easter Sunday morning. I wanna encourage you to be praying about and maybe even make a list of 10 people that you could begin inviting to those events coming up. if I look different, some people mention this in between services, um, if you haven't seen me in a month, I look different because I have a beard. If you haven't seen me since Friday, I look different because I'm not wearing glasses. And uh, just so happens my family went to the beach on Friday and I came home without glasses. On a separate note, if you are in the New Smyrna Beach area and you see a dolphin wearing black framed Armani Exchange glasses, get them for me. Those are mine. Um, but uh, anyway, that's what's going on there. Let me ask this question as we look now to the, the word and to the sermon this morning. How many of you would admit that you have received a bad gift in your lifetime? Come on, you're not saying it was from your spouse. You're just saying somewhere you received a bad gift. I have, I have confided in you that I am a terrible gift giver. Um, on the, the five love languages, I score lowest in giving and receiving gifts. It's just not my thing. And uh, I have told you that. I've told you I'm a terrible gift giver. I have not ever gone so far as to confess those specific sins. And I'm going to do that this morning because we're talking about celebrate recovery as part of today. And I just feel the need to come clean on this. So, first gift that I ever gave my now wife, we've been dating for about two months. um, And I was at the gas station. It gets worse. (laughs) And there was a trash can next to the pump where I was pumping gas. Um, and in the trash can, something caught my eye. It was kind of sitting on top of the trash can. And I thought, this is perfect for my girlfriend. And so I gave my wife, Nikki, as her first gift, this red, <laughs> red hot lover. Was the, is the If you can't read that on the, on the t-shirt. So that was the first gift. And we'd been dating for two months. So she was like, oh, I love it. And then I learned once we were married, she didn't love it at all. And so... That was first. So, and then a little fast forward, maybe a few months, we're like engaged. I knew that, um, well, first of all, I should tell you um, that my wife doesn't own a dog, but there is a reason that I did this. So my second gift to her was, was a, a dog pillow. And the reason behind the dog pillow is she liked to lay on the floor of her apartment and watch movies, and I wanted her to be comfortable. It was not a used dog pillow, so, th- so it, was, it was good. Um, and then once we were married, my wife had this dream of remodeling the kitchen. And I started doing the numbers and Christmas was coming. I'm like, we can't remodel the kitchen, but we can do something kitchen related. And so I got my wife a salt and pepper shaker for Christmas. But there was more. I also got her an apron to go with it. And so um, that was what we did. And so uh, she received them graciously, but I've learned that there are certain gifts I give my wife that she doesn't so much love. And maybe you are in the same situation. Let me ask this question. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't love from God? Wrestle with that for just a second. Have you ever received a bad gift from God? James chapter one says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But is it not true that sometimes you open a gift, so to speak, from the Lord and you go, ooh, I don't know if I love this. And I wanna make the argument and make the case today that there is productivity in your pain, that that whether or not pain comes from God, that he can use pain in your life to give you good gifts that actually don't come in any other way. In 1940, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain where he tried to tackle theologically why pain can exist in the world and yet we can say that God is good and all-powerful. My uh, goal today is not to wrestle those theological questions to the ground. My hope is that when you leave today, whatever painful circumstance, whatever trials, whatever trauma you're walking through, that you can say, there is good in this. It is not good but it is part of the all things that God uses for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter one today. If you've got a Bible or Bible app, you can turn there. We'll also have it on the screens behind me. I wanna read for you what Paul writes at the very opening of his letter to the Corinthians. And before I do that, keep in mind, I shared this two weeks ago, Paul is experiencing a ton of relational conflict. He's experiencing ministry setbacks He's experiencing uh, personal uh, illnesses. He's experiencing persecution. Paul is not in the middle of what would be considered a good time. And yet this is what he writes in 2 Corinthians 1 beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is also for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also will you share in our comfort. Verse eight. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond, the, beyond strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope, that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf, for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of ministry. This morning what I'm going to do is show from this passage and to affirm to you from personal experience, which by the way, one of the beauties of walking with Jesus for a while is to realize the things that you had been reading proved true in your life. <laughs> Not true because you're experiencing it, but the, the, the experience is evidence of the truth that exists there. And what I believe Paul is doing is highlighting four different gifts that we experience from God that only come through our pain. The first one is this, through pain or affliction we experience a deeper understanding of mercy. Paul uses this expression, father of mercies. This is the only place in all of the Bible that this expression is used, father of mercies. And you might notice here that Paul doesn't use the singular word mercy. He uses the plural, mercies, and my my hunch is the reason is this. Paul mostly uses the word mercy, and almost always he's talking about the gift of salvation through Jesus, saying your salvation is not through earning or through effort, it's God's mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve, which is eternal condemnation. He gives you the gift of salvation. That's the mercy of God. But here he says the father of mercies and my hunch is that what Paul is learning is that God is not only merciful because he saved Paul from his sin, but that God has mercies for Paul that go even beyond and extend further than salvation. And it was through a place of pain and affliction that Paul begins to learn more about the God of mercies. Kind of like the writer of Lamentations says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. See, what what happens in pain is that we come to the end of ourselves. And like an empty glass, we go, I don't have anything left to give. I'm at the end of myself. Whatever whatever credentials, whatever strength, whatever personality traits, whatever character, like whatever reputation, whatever I thought I had going for me, I've learned that I've got nothing in me and it's in that place of emptiness that we learn that God is enough for us, that his mercy is enough. His mercies to us are enough. Paul says, this is where I am. I'm empty. I've got nothing left. But in this place, Paul learns that the mercies of God for him are enough. A second gift that Paul learned and that I have discovered as well is that through pain, we can have a fuller experience of comfort. You might have noticed a moment ago when I read the passage that Paul uses the expression comfort, or uses the word comfort ten times in just five verses. Right? It almost sounds like I'm rereading the same thing. It's like comfort, 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 comfort. But he's talking about pain. How is it that in the middle of Paul's talking about affliction, he can't get past this idea of comfort? Well, if like me, you grew up in a church or specifically grew up going to youth group, you know that youth pastors in the 90s and 2000s had this thing where they would constantly tell us that God wants to take us out of our what? Comfort zone. Man, you guys are youth group kids. I knew it. God wants to take you out of your comfort zone, and and there is truth to that. What what our youth pastors were telling us is, God doesn't want us to rely on artificial comforts, like money, like safety, like pleasure, like an earthly relationship. God God wants to get us beyond that, but what God wants to do in us is give us real comfort that comes from Him. God is not anti-comfort. God is anti-artificial comfort. And Paul says, actually, God is the God of all comfort. When we're experiencing pain, God doesn't distance himself from us. When we're experiencing hardships and affliction, God doesn't pull back. In fact, Scripture tells us God draws near to us in the midst of our pain. The psalmist said it this way, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Like a moth to the flame, and when you are broken, when you are emptied, when you are are, are poured out, God draws near with his comfort. And what happens is some of us have viewed God as the source of our pain. We go, man, you know, God caused this bad thing to happen. God brought this pain into my life. And like a child touching a hot stove, we go, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. And we pull back. And what we do is we miss out on the very one who is able to give us the comfort that we need. See, if we see God not as the source of our pain, but the source of our comfort, then what happens is that empty glass that we've become gets to begin to experience God's comfort being poured into us. And some of y'all can testify to this. You go, man, right in the middle of me losing my job or my career, right in the middle of me losing my marriage, right in the middle of my children going off the rails, right in the middle of finances collapsing around me, right in the middle of the pain of abuse or abandonment or trauma, God's comfort met me there. It's what Paul called the peace that passes understanding. You can't can't explain it and go, well, A plus B equals, no, 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 God just found me and met me and he comforted me in the depths of my pain. I want to invite you to do something for just a moment. Um, We're not at the end of the message, but in the middle of the message, I want to ask you to close your eyes for just a second. I, I want you to imagine a time, because we've all had them, I want you to imagine a time in your life when you were in the worst pain. Maybe it was, a, it, was a, it was a diagnosis from the doctor. Maybe it was a childhood trauma. Maybe it was the loss of a job or a relationship. Maybe it was a faith struggle, what, what some have called a dark night of the soul. But imagine yourself in that pain place and recall the time where God met you with his comfort. Recall a word or a, a song or a breeze or a moment where you were reminded in the midst of your pain that God was good and that he was for you and thank him for being the God of all comfort. For just another second, keep your eyes closed. Some of you, you're in that place right now. You're like, Chris, I don't have to think back to months or years ago. That place of darkest pain, that place of deepest anguish, that's where I am right now. Then I wanna invite you just to imagine yourself as that empty glass and picture the love and the comfort and the mercy of God just being poured into your life. This is what God desires to do, to meet you in your pain and to give you his comfort. Now look up at me, we're not gonna stop there, we've got a couple more to go. So after we have this fuller experience of comfort, a third gift that we get from God is a greater ministry of healing. Let me go back to 2 Corinthians 1 and verse four. It says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now without trying to tackle the whole theology around pain, I wanna give you at least three places where pain comes from. Pain comes from living in a fallen world. This is the cancer that took my mom when I was 18. No one to blame, no one's fault, no one did wrong. It's just the fact that we live in a world that's less than what God designed it to be. It's a a broken world. And so we experience death and we experience disease and we experience natural disasters. And we go, it's just life in a fallen world. There is pain that is inherent to the human experience. But some pain comes not just from the natural consequences of life, some pain comes because other people are evil and other people have done us wrong and maybe you were abused as a child or maybe you were abandoned in a relationship. The person that should have been for you turned against you. The person that should have held you close pushed you away and that's the sin of other people causing real pain and anguish in your life. And a third source of pain, unfortunately, is what I'll call self-inflicted pain. You don't have to raise your hand, but I will. Anybody been there? (laughs) Your own dumb decisions, your own selfishness. My tendency to want to isolate from people when what I really need is to be in relationship with people. I create pain for myself and for the people around me. All three of these are ways that pain gets introduced into our lives. And one of the things I love about Celebrate Recovery and other recovery ministries, but especially this one, is that through recovery, what I can learn to discern is those things that were done to me, I don't have to take responsibility for. Some of you are living with guilt and shame from wrongs that were done to you, and you need to let it go. You didn't cause that. You were the victim, you were the one abused, you were the one abandoned. It was not your fault. But recovery doesn't stop there because it also allows me to turn the flashlight on myself and go, and yet there were places where I was in the wrong. There were people that I was the abuser. There were people that I offended. There were people I took advantage of and manipulated in. And there I'm not just letting it go, but I'm confronting it. I'm writing it out. I'm, I'm meeting it head on. And even there I find God's mercy and his forgiveness. See, the beauty, the beauty of the way that this all works and this God of comfort is at work in our lives is that he redeems all. All of it. You go, well, yeah, I know he's he's redeeming the world. And and I know he can can, put the pieces back together of the wrongs that were done to me. But, Chris, what about my own stuff? Certainly, God can't make good out of that. And I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of God's word and my personal experience, yes, he can. When Paul said that in all things God works for the good of those who are being saved, he's not meaning all the good things, he's meaning all the things. Which means your temptations, your sins, your struggles, your addictions are even part of the all things that God is able to redeem and make something good out of. When I was 12-ish years old, I began a sin struggle in my life that has plagued me for most of my life since. You can probably guess based on the age what that struggle was. It was sexual sin. And even though my mom was very protective in a house with five boys, no one could prepare us for the internet that came when I was about 14 years old. And some of you are there or some of you have been there, men and women, who go, man, that, that thing, God, it's claws in me and I'm not able to get free of it. I don't know how to get this thing. I don't know how to get beyond this. And, and the first hurdle I had to get beyond is nobody can know about this. But do you know that you're only as sick as your secrets? So if nobody can know, then you will never be free. And it is the courage to step into the light and risk with a trusted friend or family member to say, hey, I've got an issue that I need to bring into the light because I can't get free on my own. And by God's grace, I had the opportunity to do that. But the struggle continued for years and decades. And then the struggle was, God, are you doing anything with this? Is there any purpose to my pain of this sexual sin and addiction struggle? And the beauty of what Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians 1 is yes, there is a purpose to it. In fact, again, look at the verse 4 there. He says, God comforts us in our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort others. In other words, the very things that have caused pain in your life and that you've begun to experience healing from are the ways that you will minister to and bring healing to others. So, When someone's lost a parent at a young age, I can say, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I have lost a mom at a young age, and that's tough. When somebody's going through premature birth of a child, the 146 days with our first child, and the 16 with our second, and the 10 with our third that we spent in a neonatal intensive care unit, and the dozens of people who have reached out and said, hey, I've got a friend, I've got a family member, they've had their child early, can you reach out to them? See, our pain produced something in their lives. And even the, even the struggle of sexual sin for years and decades, I've had the chance to look other men in the eyes and go, Do you know there's a way forward? That there's a way to begin to experience healing and freedom even from this. And one of the things that I love to do when I'm in conversations like that with other men, because see, that's my issue. I I can't really say the same thing about some other things like drugs or addiction or divorce or whatever, but I can say if that's your issue, I've been there. And what I love to tell men, and has proven to be true time and again, is man, not only will God give you the freedom to overcome this, but in your coming free, you're going to lead other men into freedom. See, I want to cast a vision for what God is able to do. It's the so that. All of that stuff that you walked through, that you thought was meant for your defeat, God was using it not only for your victory, but for the victory of others. Several months ago, I was at lunch with a friend I hadn't seen since pre-COVID. And we talked for about 45 minutes and all was good. And then I just said, hey man, where do you see God at work in your life? And the conversation changed. And he began to confess a sin struggle that he was having that he could not get free of. By the end of the lunch, I had been able to affirm to him, I've been there. That's gonna be a really tough conversation. You got a lot of work ahead of you. This is gonna be hard, but you're gonna get through to the other side, and when you do, you're gonna have a ministry. I saw that friend last week, and he threw his arms around me and said, thank you, I'm experiencing what you said would happen. He's been given now a ministry of healing through his own issues. One of the people that speaks a lot on recovery issues, a man named Doug Weiss, talked about it this way. He said, when we're young, the enemy brings weapons against us, weapons of addiction or trauma, abuse, abandonment, and we think they're meant for our defeat, but through recovery and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is we're wrestling the weapons out of the enemy's hands, and they soon become the weapons that we use against him. See, the enemy's like, man, I'm gonna defeat you with this. And it's like, no, 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 God's gonna free me of that and then I'm gonna hold the weapon and I'm gonna lead others to victory. God wins. He's the one who's all powerful. He, he's the one who's sovereign. He's the one who is working all things for your good. And he wants to birth in you a ministry of healing even from your pain. And when you begin to see God putting those broken pieces together and birthing that ministry, I believe it leads to that fourth gift that Paul Mentions in 2 Corinthians 1, it leads to a renewal of hope. You might have seen that two times Paul says it. He says, our hope for you is unshaken, verse 6. He says, on Christ we have set our hope, verse 10. Because Paul understood that the end of the road for so many people that have experienced pain is hopelessness. And Paul said, but it's not hopeless for me. And if you're a believer in Jesus, it's not hopeless for you. We live in a day and age where people desperately need to be reminded that there is hope. Emile Brunner said that what oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to the meaning of life. And people are running low on oxygen. Don't know if you knew that. Because every time we turn on the news... Every time we we try to engage in a in a healthy relationship, like we're experiencing trauma and pain like never before in the history of the world, and people are losing hope to the tune of millions who are walking through depression and anxiety, people attempting their life and committing suicide, and we go, Man, is there hope in the midst of it? And the great myth that the church has often bought into is that, well, but Christians can't be hopeless. You know, we can be sad, but we can't be depressed. We can have a bad day, but but we shouldn't be discouraged. Can I be really transparent and honest with you? Discouragement is a daily companion for me. (laughs) Like, I have to battle it every day. Because life is hard. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Work is hard. Getting up in the morning sometimes is hard. And yet, there is hope. Paul said in verse 8, we were so utterly burdened beyond strength that we despaired of life itself you think paul was discouraged you think he was down sure sounds like it and, and what our culture will do is our culture will take the symptoms that we have and go well well here's something to medicate the symptom if you got anxiety take this if you got depression take that if you're having suicidal thoughts take these and i'm not against medication but what i'm telling you is those things are symptoms there's a deeper root And while our culture is trying to major on on managing symptoms, scripture gives us solutions. The solution is to run to Christ who is our refuge. And and as we're doing counseling or taking medication or whatever it may be to help us, don't miss the spiritual part of that. Don't miss the all-important process of drawing near to God in the midst of your pain. The writer of Hebrews would say it this way. He said that hope is the anchor for our soul. And if you feel like your life is just like a ship kind of adrift on the ocean and just being beaten by waves every time you turn around you're discouraged and anxious and down and fearful. Maybe you've forgotten to put the anchor down. The anchor is the good news of the gospel. The anchor is the hope that is in Jesus. I want to invite you to zoom out and see a bigger picture of what God is doing in your life. See when we comfort others with the comfort we've received from God, what we're doing is we're taking this this from God and we're pouring it into the lives of others so that they can be filled with the comfort we've received. And then when we zoom out and we go, man, look at what God did here. I was emptied. God filled me, God used me to minister to another and serve, and then God continued to pour back into my life so that I could minister to others. Then I step back and I go, man, this is hopeful. This means God is in all the details. God's not just standing at the finish line going, hey, when you clean up your act, I'm here. He doesn't just meet us at the altar. He meets us where we are and walks us forward in victory. And I don't know about you, but for me, that brings hope. It doesn't make the hard less hard, but it gives me a reason to live because I know the one who's at work in all of the details of my life. The message today, I wanted to wait until the end to share it with you. The series that we've been in is We Are, and today I'm talking about this, we are wounded healers. And the truth is, not only are we wounded healers, but we serve and worship a wounded healer. Which defies any explanation, and no other religion can quite get its head around, that the God that we serve is one who was wounded and one who was crucified. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, one of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, said it like this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. God is not distant from your pain. He enters it. He was even willing to have his own body wounded and broken and buried for us so that we could have healing. And one of the most remarkable things passages in all of the New Testament to me is when Jesus, after his resurrection, shows up to the disciples and one of them, a guy named Thomas, is having a hard time with it and we call him what? Doubting Thomas. And Jesus is gracious with him. He says, hey, Thomas, put your hands in my scars. You go, wait a second. This is Jesus after the resurrection. This is Jesus' perfected body. This is Jesus' heavenly body that he's going to have for all of eternity what do you mean scars thought heaven was perfect could it be that scars are not imperfections because the truth this morning is that scars don't tell the story of your wounding I can't look at a scar and go I know how you were wounded what scars tell is the story of your healing it tells me that whatever happened to cause the scar you've now been healed And there's a story of redemption there. The same is true in the spiritual that's true in the physical. The scars tell the story of our healing. And the greatest gift, the greatest healing we'd ever received came through the scarred and wounded body of Jesus. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take communion together. And I want this to be more than just a a ritual or more than just a theological thing. I, I want you to understand as you take the bread and drink the cup, that what you're doing is remembering the greatest of all truths. That Jesus entered our broken world, was killed and crucified for us so that we might have healing and we might have redemption. If you did not get the elements when you walked in and you would like to take communion with us, would you slip your hand up? We'll make sure to get those around to you. Thank you, Simon. Right over here, and, and back here as well. We'll wait just a moment. I want to make sure everybody has the opportunity. Over here as well. And while we're continuing to distribute those, I, I, I wanna share with you why we take the Lord's Supper or why we take communion. Again, it's not a ritual. It doesn't earn us anything. It's not something that like scores us points. What it is, is a simple remembrance. Jesus said, do it in remembrance of me. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, handed it to his disciples, said, this is my body, take and eat whenever you do it in remembrance of me, take and eat the bread. Immediately after that, Jesus took the cup and passed it to his disciples and said, this Wine is the blood of my covenant. Take and drink it whenever you do it in remembrance of me. We remember the blood of Jesus poured out for us as we drink. And We're going to sing a song that tells of the hope that we have in Jesus. It starts off telling of his death, his crucifixion, what we remember in the communion moment. I'm going to ask you, you would stand where you're at. Just stand. We're going to sing this song together and then I'll come up in just a moment. Team.